What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Chrisomania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man, with the powerful questions. <laughs> Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! Okay, my friends, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for being with me. Uh, this is a very special episode. Of the Chris Van Vliet Show. Not just because of my very special guest, Colt Cabana, who is the guy when it comes to wrestling podcasts. You could say he's the pod father, if you will. I mean, he's really the pioneer. Uh, anyone who has a wrestling podcast, like me, or anyone who listens to wrestling podcasts, also me, has Colt to thank. I mean, he really, uh, you know, kind of paved the way for this. Uh, this episode, though, is special because it's my first ever episode, my first ever interview done in front of a live crowd. Uh, yeah, this was at the Pro Wrestling Tees All Out side party just a few hours before All Out in Chicago last week. The crowd was amazing. This was so cool to hear the instant reaction from them. We got some very interesting chants, including one for a napkin. Uh, you'll see. Um, and if you were there, you know how fun this was. Uh, so thank you for being a part of this. It was so awesome meeting you guys there. Thank you for all the kind words you said, uh, especially, uh, you know, for the kind words you've been saying on the podcast. Thank you for the reviews you've been leaving on Apple Podcasts. I'm going to say it every episode because it's super, super important that you subscribe and you leave these five-star reviews. That's why I'm going to keep reading them. Uh, Mr. Rhetoric says, I've yet to hear Chris Van Vliet do an interview that I haven't enjoyed. If you're a fan of pro wrestling, his podcast is a must subscribe. Thank you. He makes me commute. He makes my commutes home actually enjoyable. Please keep it up. Uh, thank you. And please keep these reviews up. Take like 27 seconds out of your day. Um, they really, really help. It also helps to have these sponsors. So thank you to Green Roads. And if you've been thinking of trying CBD products, Green Roads is the way to go because not all CBD products are created equal. And I know there's a lot of people talking about CBD products, a lot of companies that have come out of nowhere and they're popping up everywhere, but they've got low quality formulas. Some of them don't even have CBD in them. Green Roads, though, is a pharmacist founded company dedicated to improving the lives of people who take it. I take it a little bloop, bloop. That's the, that's the noise of the dropper. Bloop, bloop. Not really, but I'm making it up. Bloop, bloop. Under the tongue. Um, <laughs> really helps with focus. I'm not like a super stressy person, but it really helps with like, I mean, different time zones, like this was a different time zone. This was in the central time zone. I live in the East Coast time zone. Um, so it kind of just helps with like focus, uh, also helps with rest and recovery. I go to the gym like five, six days a week. So it helps with that. The relaxed gummies are also great if you don't want to do the oil. Uh, use my code, Chris15, Chris15. You'll get 15% off your order at greenroadsworld.com. CVV show. Also brought to you by the Pro Podcasting Pack from Samson Technologies. Uh, a huge shout out to them because the better your uh, podcast sounds, the better it is. I mean, that's the bottom line. You don't want to listen to a podcast that uh, sounds like this. And there are a lot of podcasts 
that sound like that. Um, so go to samsontech.com. You can check out their full lineup. This interview with Colt is a lot of fun, partly because of that crowd interaction, but also because of how good Colt is at this. I mean, he's a pro when it comes to interviews on either side of the mic. Um, but speaking of podcasts, he talks here why he's ending his podcast. After nine and a half years, Art of Wrestling is going away. He also talks about how he, I mean, let's be honest, he really changed independent wrestling from being like a side job you did on weekends to like a viable way to make money as like a career option for people. He was one of the first ever wrestlers to create t-shirts, one of the first ever wrestlers to have a merch table. Um, and we talk about that and how he's changed the game to, you know, make it where it is today in 2019. He also tells a really interesting story about how he was almost hired by WWE as a commentator. And then when CM Punk walked out, he got let go not long after. Coincidence. Hmm. You be the judge on that one. But here you go. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Colt Cabana. How has your day been so far? Oh, well, what a beautiful day in Chicago. Can uh, complain about that. For all you outsiders, this is what the weather is like every day of the year. <laughs> um... It's been good. I, it's been a real, real, real busy uh, everything for me, obviously. I just spent the past uh, month in Edinburgh, Scotland. I got home on a Tuesday, and then on a Thursday, I, uh, I filmed an episode of Chicago Fire, uh, and then went right to StarCast, and then wrestled for AAW, and then the next day, back to StarCast, AAW, and now here we are today, and then, of course, tomorrow I'm doing a, a free comedy show. So uh, it just never ends with me. It's a constant grind. I'm constantly moving, and I'd have it no other way. You are so much more than just a wrestler. And I think that, uh, I, I honestly feel that AEW might not have happened if it wasn't for some of the seeds that you planted early on. You took wrestling from being, yeah, and it's true. You took it from being a guy who was just wrestling in small venues to be basically putting an entrepreneurial take on this. Um, where did this all begin for you? Uh, well, that's a very open-ended question. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, I, I was and do wrestle in small venues, and I saw that as, uh, I, I don't know if I saw it as like a marketing thing, but I just, I saw it as a cool thing, whereas I think a lot of people didn't understand how cool it was to be in the underground, to be in the VFW halls, to be in the armories, and just like last night, like. Uh, I was wrestling for AAW and we're in this packed Logan Square Auditorium. And so many people, uh, they love going to giant concerts, but there is there is a sect of people who love, you know, I, when I say giant concerts, like going to the arenas and watching, I, I don't know, the Bon Jovi is the first person that came to my sure. mind for some reason. He's living uh, on a prayer. But then there's those punk kids who went to the, to the small little dingy, um, you know, the small dingy rock clubs. And for me, I saw what we were doing in independent wrestling as the equivalent to what the kids that were going to those punk shows. And the kids that go to those punk shows, it resonates with them forever. They, they, they feel such a badge uh, and that that represents them. And I didn't think that the, the same way we were doing that with independent wrestling, people felt that proud of it. They kind of felt embarrassed by it. Uh, and, uh, and a lot, I thought, stemmed from uh, the WWE constantly saying like, oh, they're wrestling in bingo halls and kind of whenever someone would make it big on the end of, uh, uh, in WWE when they came from the independents, they would really, really take jabs at it uh, at, at independent wrestling. And I didn't think it was something to take jabs at. A, because that's 
what I was doing for a living and I was somehow making a living at it. Yeah. Um, and then B, I forgot the other reason, but... Um, <laughs> so I, th there was the stigma of independent wrestling was not cool and I thought it was really cool. And it was kind of my goal to let the world know that it was cool. Um, and, and you know, we talk about AEW and how it's grown and I know the Bucks were on your show and talking about the influence and stuff and, and, and I did have a, I had a vision and I got to a certain point with the vision, with my podcast and kind of in the t-shirt world. And, uh, and then their vision was so much bigger than my vision. <laughs> and it's, it's everything that I thought, like, it's, it's kind of everything that I had in my mind when I got fired from WWE and I wanted to kind of really love the independence. And I'm so proud of what, what the Bucks have, have done with it. And then the Bucks have tagged with this team, you know, uh, Omega and Cody and obviously Tony Khan and just the world. And so, um, it, well, well, here's the thing. Yeah. You were one of the first wrestlers to create your own merchandise. Was that always done through uh, pro wrestling tees, through one hour tees? No, I mean, I was doing, obviously I've been, do I've been wrestling since 99. I've just celebrated my 20 year birthday in the world of wrestling. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> wow. I don't know if any of you were in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin in June 24th, 1999, but I wrestled a man named Eric Freedom who was dressed up as Doink the Clown that day. Hold on, so have you been wrestling for more years than you haven't been wrestling? Correct. Wow. Yes, yeah. And, you know, you hear that stigma of Weekend Warrior, it's just, um, I've been wrestling full time since I was about 22, 23 years old. So, but even when I had, when I was in college and wrestling, starting wrestling, and, and I had a job and I was wrestling, I was still wrestling almost three days a week, like as much as I could. So that that hustle was so intense. And so now, like for the past, literally for 20 years, I've, you know, I'll wrestle anywhere from 100 to 175 days a year, and I've constantly been doing it for so long. So, uh, I guess one of the answers to that question about making my own merchandise is when I quit my job of being a teaching assistant at Shepherd Junior High School in 2003. First of all, how cool would it be to have Cole Cabana as your teacher? Yeah. <laughs> I, I once came to class with this huge black eye because you know that the moonsault DDT that AJ Styles does where he grabs you? Yeah, yeah. He, we, this was in a, in a, basically in a barn in Clarksville, Indiana in 2002, I think, and he went for it and I was a little too close and the back of his head just rocked my eye sockets. And then uh, the next week, I, the whole week, I had this just swollen eye. And I just know there was like kids just being like, Mr. Colton's a badass. <laughs> and I couldn't tell him like, no, I was just play wrestling with AJ Styles. <laughs> um, so when I did stop the job, I, I had, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money, but enough money to pursue wrestling as, as a starving artist. And I just knew I had to make a certain amount of money every single month. You know, and I think it was like $700 or something to pay my rent, to pay my insurance, and to buy food and a gym membership. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think I was making $700 with the bookings. And so I knew I had to supplement that with merchandise, with the gimmick table. And then there's a lot of crazy stories of, of the hustle. Like, I, I would find a guy in Tijuana who would buy me these wrestling masks for $2 and I would sell them for $10. And like, I'm not proud of it. Uh, yes, I am. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I used to sell the um, I used I used to sell the Macho Man Randy Savage uh, uh, tape cassettes at the merchandise table. 
Like I would get them, uh, sorry, CDs, I would get, I would oh, dub like them. Oh, be a man, Hogan? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've, a classic. Yeah, I've always found the, the cool niche stuff to try to, to sell to the wrestling fans. Well, when I did the interview with the Young Bucks, they said that what was the real game changer was they started talking to you and you were basically telling them how much money you were making with the podcast. How they they had no line at their merch table and you had a giant line at, at your merch table. Were you always entrepreneurial though? Like were you mowing people's grass when you were a kid or you know, shoveling people's snow? Not so much. I mean a little bit I guess. I guess funny story, my dad, my dad uh, used to sell urban clothing for 30 years, so I went to college on Jenko jeans. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Jenko. Yeah, yeah. yeah my, my dad used to sell Sean John kids. Um, God, he had a lot of line. Jordache jeans back in the day. So uh, he also he had friends of friends, and they would have these samples, is what you would call it in the schmata business. Um, and I. I had samples of like when Top Dog and Big Johnson was really popular. I don't know if you guys remember those shirts. I would have like a booklet and I would bring it to class and I would, I would count the inventory that we had of samples in my garage and uh, I would sell the Top Dog shirts for like super cheap at my school. And That's I guess, where it all began. I guess that was a sign. Yeah. I've, been a, I've been a clothes salesman since day one, I guess. <laughs> Is there a particular shirt or design that you are most proud of? just that I've been wearing. Yeah, I guess the I Start Cold is pretty iconic uh, in a way. Um, Jill Thompson made me a shirt once that I, yeah, a great artist uh, from Chicago that uh, I thought was so cool. And just over the years, I think because of the relationship with the podcast and kind of may, maybe being one of the first people to really reach out to the wrestling fans and let them know that I was a human being and not some kind of megastar, um, people have been so cool reaching back and wanting to help you know from the first year of the podcast uh really i guess being intimate and, and letting people know that i'm flawed in whatever way it is uh i, I think there was a, a moment of sympathy that uh fans wanted to help out so a lot of people have, have sent over great designs and, and through the years those people have then teamed with you know ever since ryan and i we, we kind of put our head you know i came to ryan with with the idea of a sponsorship who owns one hour tees and I said you know here, here's a sponsorship uh, you know I'll promote one hour tees you'll make this t-shirt and uh, you give me X amount of cold shirts that I can sell so I'm thinking that's of, how it began that's how right I'm getting these shirts uh, and I'm selling it for a sponsorship but then I could you know quadruple it through selling the shirts yeah um, and then through that you know through that partnership with Brian and one hour tees and pro wrestling tees you know so many of those artists in the very beginning have now come on board. And not on board, yeah. and there's people working at the shop right now who are just uh, Cabana fans. I, I think we should all give a big round of applause to Pro Wrestling Tees for everyone. <laughs> and early on, you had some of your fellow wrestling friends that were making shirts at One Hour Tees. Who were some of them? That were making shirts? Or, you know, that were also like, you were like, hey guys, yes. they're doing them here, so you should also. Right, well I, for a while, I was making the shirts. You were making the so, shirts. So some of those very early shirts, not even early, for probably three years ago I stopped doing it, but I would go into the shop and I would print my own shirts and when people would buy a shirt on coldmerch.com, wink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was me making the shirts. Uh, wow. and I, a lot of people have those headbands that I used to sell and I would go in there and I would, I would sew those headbands uh, myself, I would go to Joanne's Fabrics. I would cut the I would cut the fabric. I would sew the headbands. I would press on the presser. Wow. Like it was all. And then wow. honestly, you know, I still ship out my own stuff. It's it's always been a 
a one-man machine. But from very early on, Ryan was like, I want to do this thing where we ship it out, but I need your contact. He's like, I'm nobody. I need your contacts. And then I, the first guys I reached out to were the Young Bucks and Joey Ryan and Adam Pierce and Kevin Steen. Um, and um, I think Beth Phoenix was one of them, John Morrison, who then didn't take me up on it, and then years later regretted not taking me <laughs> up on it. Um, uh, and, and, and Kevin Steen is, is one that I always think about when, we think, when I think about the idea that um, the movement of, of, of the t-shirt revolution, I don't know if that's what you would call it, but Kevin sure. was working with Ring of Honor, and uh, I think that this is no secret, Jim Cornette was not a big fan of him, uh, and he kind of, he iced them for a lot, I think he took them off without paying them, you know, for six months or a year. And Kevin was wrestling as much as he could, but we weren't making much on the indies. And he was laid off a, kind of a lot of dates, and he was working at a factory overnights. And then uh, he got really hot, but Ring of Honor still didn't like him because Jim didn't like him. So uh, as he got hot, he was still working at this overnight factory, and then Pro Wrestling Tees started coming. And then I remember the time when he told me that he could stop his job because the t-shirts were supplementing him and his, you know, his wife and his children. He was supporting a family. And so that was the moment where I really felt proud. And if nothing happened with Pro Wrestling Tees or, or, or any of it, there was a sense of, of a lot of pride that I knew Kevin, who was such a hard worker and loved wrestling. And in my mind, I was like, we'll never make it in the WWE. Uh, because I don't think Vince likes what he looks like, um, so I was, you know, I was just like sad that he wasn't able to to make a living, and then um, it all changed for him. And then look at him now; he's he's amazing. And and the yeah. business has changed too. That will allow a guy like Kevin to, who's an amazing wrestler, an amazing voice and personality, who wrestling just always said you can't look like that and be a wrestler. And now I I think, I think through the intimacy of stuff that maybe I I touched on in the beginning with the podcast and now has grown so much is that the wrestling fans are so much more involved and allowed in that their voice is so big that they can say we like Kevin you should sign this guy they do and then they put him on TV and he, they do he does great because the fans like him yeah. obviously well and I think the message through all of this through Kevin's story through Ryan with pro wrestling tees and also certainly with you is if you have something that you want to do you can absolutely accomplish it if you set those goals and chase after it. Yeah, so when I got fired from the WWE, which is 2009, and I know I bring it up a lot, but it really is such a, it's such a before and after in my life, and not so much now because it's been 10 years, but that's like such a pivotal, pivotal moment in just not my wrestling life, but just my real life of going for this goal, the dream that I always wanted, getting there, not doing that well, getting fired, and being like, well, this can't be your dream, so, either go get a real job and then you know it clicked for me is like no I love wrestling I want to see if I could still do it and the main thing I, I the main thing was I had one is this lady bringing me burgers yes. this wow. is how, this is how to get your company you. do, do we look hungry hey, ma'am come here please yes. uh, what is your food truck show your shirt Chicago Culinary Kitchen. Chicago Culinary Kitchen. Give it up for Chicago Culinary Kitchen. Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of marketing and everything, yeah, wow. man, that was brilliant. Now everyone, the hundreds of thousands of people watching this are lighter. So I said, I had, we would feel rude to eat in front of you yes. guys. So believe me, I'm taking it down once this thing is over. Um, I'm not gonna. This is not an eating show.
happen? <laughs> Chicago Culinary Kitchen, you can't bring me the sloppiest burger of all time, get me to eat it on camera, and then not bring a napkin. Maybe Pro Wrestling Tees will give me a shirt I can wipe my mouth with. It still hasn't come, no. No, she don't, she don't give a shit, she no. got the burger up here. Oh, here we go, you can get a used napkin. Thank you. You're a hero, sir. All right. Oh, well. There we go. I'm finally accepted. You guys are busy. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. Okay. Thank you again. Four and a half. Ooh. If it was a, if it was a Japanese burger, it would be five stars. So I had put all my eggs in one basket, which yes, is WWE, WWE and then when I got fired, I didn't want to not have that power again. I felt that power was taken away from me, so I wanted to do stuff where I had maybe five or six or seven baskets, where if something got taken away, I would always able to have other avenues or revenues. And so kind of like as my podcast is going away now, I know that it's not, my whole career or the idea of paying my rent or whatever isn't based off of the podcast. I have so many other things that I do and can do. Is it bittersweet for you? Because, first of all, congratulations. Nine and a half years doing a podcast is amazing. Nine and a half years of doing anything is amazing. So was it bittersweet for you when you finally came to the realization and said, you know what, this is going to be it? Yeah, I thought, you know, I had changed the way the podcast was. I was doing, obviously, sit-down interviews with my friends and wrestling for probably eight years. And I kind of changed it to a road story situation. But I was kind of, after the eight years, I felt I've kind of, I kind of done everybody. I, I talked to everybody I'd want to talk to. And then uh, it just, I, I like the idea that I can now go to a show and just breathe. And you know this, like you got to find the people, you got to bug them. Oh my God. You're right. Yeah, people think that like my DMs are filled with like John Cena and The Rock going, hey, you want to do an interview? Right. No, no. Like you got to go way out of your way to make these happen. All right, a quick timeout from this chat with Colt to thank our sponsor, Indochino. And if you follow me on Instagram, well, if you don't follow me on Instagram, why not? Uh, at Chris Van Vliet. But if you do follow me, you see that I wear a lot of suits. And it's a fact that every guy looks better and feels more confident when you put on a suit. It's that simple. The problem is a lot of guys are buying these off-the-rack, kind of ugly-looking suits. And this is why the podcast network that I'm with, Blue Wire, is pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world leader on made-to-measure menswear, and they make suits and shirts to your exact measurements. So it's an unparalleled fit and comfort. So if you're looking to get married, well, they got tons of options for that too. I mean, whether you're actually getting married or you're in the wedding party. Super easy to get started. You can just visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America. They'll have them take your measurements personally, or you can just measure yourself at home. Don't feel like getting out of the house. That's okay. Just go to Indochino.com. And this week, our listeners of the CVV show can get any premium Indochino suit for just $3.69 at Indochino.com when you enter the code BLUEWIRE at checkout. Plus, shipping's free. So that's Indochino.com. The promo code is BLUEWIRE, and you'll get any premium suit 
for just $369 with free shipping. I mean, this is a great deal. It's a premium made-to-measure suit. You're not going to look like a guy who just pulled it off the rack and put it on. And let me promise you, once you go custom, you will never go back, ever. It's true. Also, a big thank you to my bookie. Now, if you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you just keep walking? Yes, of course you would take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? This is why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. And let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. So do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. And did you know you could you could actually bet on games after kickoff? So if by the second half, the team you're currently betting on is going to lose, you could just take the other side. And if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you will multiply your wins. But no matter how you bet, you know this, the NFL season is the best time of year to do it. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's the code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. And then there's people who hit you up and you're like, well, I don't want you on my show. So <laughs> it's a real weird balance. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. Was that me? Sorry. No, 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 not at all. I'm just Love kidding. That. Uh, so, yeah. Now, like, I could just breathe. I felt I did the podcast for a very long time. I'm still doing it uh, on Patreon. The old archives are on patreon.com slash coldcabana, wink. And, um, but I'm just doing it at my own pace now, uh, which I like. So there's no pressure for me to make sure I have guests or talk to people or bug people. Uh, if there's a story to be told, and I love audio, and I love to tell the story via audio, I could tell it on the Patreon um, or even on my podcast feed. Uh, and then, you know, it'll come out a little early on the Patreon. But I'm not like, I don't, ha- because now, you know, and you'll hear from probably Conrad, like the advertising is so important now. Yes. And what happened was, like I had sold these advertising and, and they were like, you need a show. And I just didn't want to have to have to, you know, be beckoned to them. So, yeah. so with, with, you said you have six or seven baskets now with that one basket being the podcast kind of closing up a little bit. What are some of the other baskets? Basketball. I'm joining the NBA. <laughs> basket weaving. <laughs> basket weaving. Yes. Uh, I am a. Basket. Well, you're uh, you're you're doing a lot more acting now. Yeah. I, well, I right. I, but that's that sounds so like rock of me, right? And I don't mean rock and roll. I mean Dwayne Johnson. Um, that's a pretty good good thing to sound like. Though. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. But I, I it's just I'm I guess I've been performing live performance for 20 years from all different situations from like I, from, like I said you know from the Whitewater Wisconsin Armory to Madison Square Garden so I just feel that uh, I love performance and live performance and entertainment and so I, when I do some acting and stuff like I take the challenges of like going over a match the same way I would of going over a scene uh, and I do that in comedy too and like stand up and improv and all that stuff so I, I look at it in terms of wrestling and I like taking that, taking that challenge because I love the challenge of wrestling and I love the challenge of mapping out something that will get a reaction and then while in the ring knowing that if the reaction isn't being got you have to kind of bounce and weave um, and, and really the best performers are the ones that can do that and so I love challenging myself that way and um, yeah 
that's something I do like about comedy, I guess. And acting comes within comedy. I don't necessarily love serious acting so much, um, but if I get booked for a show, I'll do a you know I'll do a serious role. But I do love comedy, and I think that's shown um, from my years of wrestling. Who are some of the wrestlers right now that you have your eye on, or when they have a match, you're like, I know that's going to be an awesome match. You know, I so someone comes to mind was is a guy that uh, I, I was watching Matt Fitchett yesterday in AAW. And, and him and Dave, yeah, him and Davey yeah. Vega are two guys that um, I just don't think they get the love that they deserve, and I think it's coming. I think those are two guys to watch. Uh, I, I I know this guy is uh, polarizing, but when I wrestle Orange Cassidy, it is the most fun. <laughs> um, and that seems pretty over here. Yeah, and 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 two years ago, he wasn't a person that anyone really knew about. And I did this show on uh, independentwrestling.tv and um, it was their first show at the time, it was called Powerbomb TV and I wrestled him and we were just just thinking about the match. We were both chuckling to myself. Was this the one with the beer? No, this was oh, okay. before the one with the beer. Uh, there's been a couple classics. <laughs> Five stars, if you will. Um, and not in Japan. Not, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and I was just thinking like, this is so fun to do. How come nobody knows about him? And it's not about any of my doing, it's his doing, but like finally everybody's starting to catch on to Orange Cassidy. And so that makes my uh, heart a little warm to know that everyone's getting into him. And I don't know, it's just a lot of, you know, AEW has been great at, at getting the great. I remember I did a show with Sonny Kiss and I was just like, who is Sonny Kiss and why is he amazing? Yeah. Uh, and then boom, you know, and, and I think that's the thing about. I'm on the scene and I was wrestling everywhere and, and the Bucks and Cody and those guys were, they were everywhere. So you get to see everyone so some, some, sometimes, and I hope this isn't the case with AEW as they start to close their gap because they're doing their own shows. You know, I think this happened with Ring of Honor a little bit as they got into their own world. They forget about the different people out there and nobody's really scouting. Uh, and I, that was a grudge I had with WWE for a long time. And finally, I think Regal was like, I should be out at PWG scouting who's out there, and then all of a sudden they suck up all these guys, and I think that's the right thing to do. So, yeah, um, so, yeah like when they see a sunny kiss, uh, I think they're on the right track, and I hope that doesn't, it doesn't, they don't uh, narrow themselves in over the years. Well, we interviewed Sunny Kiss earlier today, so that's an interview you guys will be seeing uh, really soon on my channel. I've been saying for a long time that everything changed this year. 2019 is the best time to be a pro wrestling fan, period. Uh, yeah, and that's true. How is it, like this is from the outside looking in as a fan, what's it like from your perspective? AEW's coming in, making everyone very excited. Obviously WWE is changing some things because of it. You being in the industry as long as you have been, what's your take on all this? I, I just kind of watch it as a fan, to be honest, and I just think it's super interesting and I don't play like, uh, you know, armchair quarterback or anything, so it's hard. I don't make predictions, I just like to watch as it, as it goes out, so it is interesting to watch, with the, I guess, the TV wars, if this is, you know, like, they said two years ago it was a war, you know, as, as they were kind of scrapping, scraping the independence, so now everyone's like, no, now it's a war, and I bet in two years it's gonna be something different, it's gonna be like, no, 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 now it's a war. Uh, so I, I think it's almost, gonna be more fun to watch in hindsight and looking back on things. Um, so I'm just, I like I like watching it as it plays out, you know. I know it's a hard question to answer, yeah, hard question to answer, but what is what was your favorite match growing up? Oh, uh, it, it is, it is an, 
It's tough to nail it down to just one. Well, I, it's different between growing up and like getting in wrestling. Okay. There's different give things. Give us both. But I'll give you two matches that I love. Okay. Uh, one is a match uh, with Les Kellett versus Leon Aris. It is a, a 1960s World of Sport British wrestling match. Um, and if you guys like comedy wrestling, uh, please go and study Les Kellett. He is my comedy hero. He is uh, a comedic wrestler like none other. He was allowed on television. He was taken very serious as a competitor, but he was a real silly goose. And, um, and Leon Aris actually uh, ended up becoming a pretty famous actor, which is interesting. Uh, and then the other favorite match, which maybe more people can relate to or know about, um, was Hulk Hogan versus Lanny Poffo on Saturday Night's Main Events. <laughs> I've heard of those guys, yeah. Yeah, and because I'm a kid of the 80s, Hulk Hogan is this like, he was just bigger than life, he was larger than life, and when, the match with the genius is so weird, and, and maybe for the, maybe it doesn't hold up that much now because of like, the weird, like, stereotypical uh, things that the genius does, like prancing along, along and his, his limp wrist, but um, I think it's, I think, that it, it's like the only time Hulk Hogan is kind of doing comedy wrestling. Uh, and you see him, he's laughing and having a good time and kind of take, making jokes out of Lanny Papa. And Lanny Papa's doing such a great job selling it. And um, there's something about the idea of this large in life Hulk Hogan, the guy who wrestles the Ultimate Warrior and Kid Kong Bunny, then goes and has this silly match, which he doesn't do often, against Lanny Papa, the genius. Uh, it, it, it made it one of my favorites. Well, with everything you've done, with the podcast kind of coming to an end now, and I'm sure there's less wrestling years in front of you than there are behind you. Is there something in your career that you haven't done yet that you'd like to do? Well, I do plan on wrestling until I'm 85 years old. Okay. Well, then there's many more wrestling years in front of you. But I will, I will say this. Uh, you know, we, Ring of Honor did Madison Square Garden this year, and I know I'm the commentator for Madison Square Garden, but I did go up to the booker, and I was just like, you gotta, I gotta be wrestling whatever it is and so I was lucky enough to be in the battle royal and you know to hear 20,000 people chant my name uh, and they were chanting Colt Cabana in Madison Square Garden sold out was so amazing so when you think of the the places and the buck uh, the bucket list and the check marks uh, I think the last one really would would be the Tokyo Dome and I've already you know I've started with New Japan I was in the New Japan uh, tournament and um, you know, I, I think to be able to do the Tokyo Dome, and this is, I've heard nothing or know nothing, but, you know, if I could sneak on the two days of the Dome uh, at Wrestle Kingdom this year, that would be a, uh, a goal, and I, I'm going to try to do it. Yeah. Well, we're putting it out of the universe. Put it out there. Right now. You've also been doing a lot of commentary. Um, I know you had tryouts or a tryout with the WWE for commentary. Yeah, you know, when I was... It's a, I get, there's a funny story, and when I was in FCW, which is the developmental territory for uh, WWE, um, I remember Dusty Rhodes and Steve Kern were doing the commentary for the local TV, and you could tell they did not want to do it. But they just, we didn't have commentators at the time, so I remember going up to Dusty at intermission and going, can I do, like they weren't really doing anything with me or with Goldman at that time. Like I debuted at Goldman, as Goldman, and then got squashed with you know my first couple matches. So in FCW, they weren't like, oh, let's put a rocket to Goldman. He's obviously got a rocket going <laughs> downwards. So I was just wrestling, 
And I was like, can I go do commentary? And they were so happy to have me go do commentary. And I started, you know, the first, I think the first FCW TV, there was a match between TJ Wilson, or Tyson Kidd, and Low Key. And I was doing commentary. And that got a lot of press at the time. And I remember uh, Meltzer really loved it. And then when I got fired, he was like, Meltzer really made a statement of how, what a mistake that was to fire me, not for my wrestling, but the a future as a commentator. Sure. Uh, and then obviously I wanted to do Ring of Honor commentating. And yeah, there was a couple of times with WWE where um, they were trying me out as a commentator. And I think what happened was the, the punk documentary came out. And um, even though, like, I don't I don't know. You know, in my head, Triple H and, and, and punk were, you know, I, I don't think that's a, 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 yeah, it's not a, a secret, secret yeah. to anybody. Uh, and but so I, I, I think I, in my head, this is how in my head it goes. Triple H was curious as to like, oh, let's hear this guy's story. And I was a talking head on that DVD. And I think it was the first time where he realized, oh my God, Colt Cabana can talk, you know? Like I was in the system for two years, but if you go and you watch me on the DVD, I'm just telling the story. And I like to think that I'm a pretty good communicator. So in my head it clicked because then in the next week after that came out, he approached me about coming in to do uh, some commentary and, and, and signing up as a commentator. And then uh, they sent me to Stamford. Um, and then I remember, God, I remember, you know Big? He's a guy, right? Big. Uh, he was Oh, yeah. Yeah, you tough about? enough or whatever. Yeah. He was producing at the time. Yeah. I think he then went and took over TNA. And I just remember uh, I was doing a web series at the time called, called Creative Has Nothing For You, which is something... Which is the line, thank you. That was the line they gave me when they fired me. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna go make fun of that on a web series because that's how my, my mind works in comedy. Like, I, it's therapeutic to, to make jokes with it. And I remember him being like, oh, so you do a web series called, he's like, I watched it, it's not funny. <laughs> Triple H said that? No, uh, Big, Big said it. Okay. And I was just like, man, you know, like this big, I thought maybe this big corporation had changed, but it just seemed like, it just seemed like a bully tactic. I didn't like it. I, I didn't, and, and I didn't, I wasn't gonna, you know, cause I was in this mindset. I was doing the podcast. I was very successful on my own. So I was, I wasn't gonna go in there and kiss ass. And I was just like, well, it's not for you, man. Uh, and I just remember like the power of that, being able to say that to somebody, like not being like, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. And stepping on eggshells. I was just like, it's not for you. You know, you don't get it. You're older. You, it's, you don't understand comedy or something along those lines. Um, and then, uh, then they brought me down to FCW and I went there for three weeks in a row and I was talking with Michael Cole this time, who, I don't, I, I don't know if it's cool to talk bad about Michael Cole. Uh, see, sometimes they do it on the internet community, but uh, I, never had a, 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 I never had a better experience than with Michael Cole of his positivity and niceness and being a human being. And it really, thank you, thank you. Uh, and it really, sh sorry, there's a, a roar over there. Um, and it had really shifted from when, uh, when I was in developmental, there was a lot of negative connotations to then five years later, and uh, I guess this was at NXT at the time, at the Performance Center, where everyone seemed really nice. And that was something really cool to see. And Michael Cole was in the head of that, where it really seemed he was being wanting to be nice as opposed to a, kind of a bully tactic. And, um, and yeah, he was kind of in charge of everything. And um, I remember talking to uh, Paul Heyman and Joey Mercury about like what I could do or how I could impress and um, I remember me and Paul at the time were because Paul had just came back with Lesnar and um, we were both kind of saying how we wanted to right these wrongs you know like I felt I just it didn't go the way I wanted it to go in WWE Scott, Scotty Goldman I felt maybe coming back as a commentator if the deal was right I could really right that wrong sure. in my career and yeah. my heart uh, 
and then um, it was going really well. And then obviously, um, you know, who knows if everything's tied together, but uh, uh, CM Punk quit Raw, um, and obviously I was closely tied with Punk at the time. Um, he had, he had quit uh, at the Royal Rumble, I think. Yeah, yeah. 2014. Right. Yeah. And then you know, two weeks later, Michael Cole had to call me up and be like, "Ah, we're not interested in, in the commentating." Wow. Thing. Yeah. Um, that doesn't seem like a coincidence. It didn't seem like a coincidence, but I, I'm not saying if it was or was not. I'm allegedly saying whatever I'm saying <laughs> for legal reasons. Um, but I remember as I got that phone call, I was in uh, I was in New York City about to go do a taping for the Chris Gethard show, which when he was filming a pilot on Comedy Central. And I just, it was, it, it hurt me a little bit that, I, you know, they said they weren't interested. But again, those, the buckets and then the baskets, as I got that denial from WWE and the commentating, I was about to go potentially be part of a Comedy Central show. Um, and I just thought that, I was in such a better place when I got denied there as opposed to before when I had gotten fired and then, you know, thought my world was over. So, uh, I, yeah, I didn't get the, that job, but I ended up doing a lot of stuff with Chris and, and with the Chris Gethard show, I ended up wrestling, you know, you can watch it on YouTube, I ended up wrestling John Hamm. Um, and, um, and so a lot of fun stuff has come from that. And then obviously, uh, in a weird way, I've, I've started doing commentary with Ring of Honor, I think because WWE signed Nigel and Steve Carino and they didn't have anybody and I wasn't doing anything. And then uh, it was the 15th year anniversary for Ring of Honor and they're like, well, Colt, you've been with the company very long, maybe you'd be very knowledgeable. And I went in and I think afterwards they're like, whoa, you're, you're good at this. <laughs> Uh, and then no one really told me you're not wrestling anymore because the next TV tapings I came with my gear and I was like, who am I wrestling tonight? They're like, you're doing commentary. I was like, oh, okay. And then the next month I came with my gear and I'm like, oh, who am I wrestling tonight? They're like, you're doing commentary. And then I just realized that was going to be the commentary. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are here today or watching this on the channel right now that want to have the kind of success that you've had you know, outside of wrestling with your podcast or with a YouTube channel. What kind of advice do you have for those people that are just starting out that want to get to where you're at? So, uh, uh, my friend Danny LaBelle has a podcast called The Modern Philosopher. He asked me the same question. I told him the answer that I'm going to tell you and everyone at home. And it kind of blew his mind and he said, I wish I had gotten this advice when I was younger. But this is how okay, I thought. Okay, all right. That's I wish I had got this advice. What is it? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's make, it, make short-term goals and just short-term goals. Like we can all, like if you're a wrestler and if you want to get to WWE, fine. But for me, I ne when I was starting, it, I, all I wanted to do was get through training. And then all I wanted to do was maybe one day have a match and then maybe have uh, you know, a program or maybe be able to get booked in Wisconsin or, or Ohio. And the idea that I wasn't, you know, you, it's so easy to give up if you're three years in and you're not in WWE because you're so sad or your mentality is so down because you haven't made that goal and not many people will make that goal. Um, but if you set a goal of, you know, can I have a 20 minute wrestling match and then you achieve that goal, there's this, um, there's this pride within yourself that, sure. that goes, I, I've done that, wow, and then what else can I do? And that's what happened with me is I didn't have these big goals of, of fame or anything, I just had goals of can I, ha can I have a match can I do this? Can I, you know, wrestle a two out of threes ma falls match or, a, or a, a ladder match or these little things? And uh, before I knew it, I was good at wrestling. 
and people wanted to book me and then people wanted to sign me and people wanted me to pay me and people enjoyed what I did. So uh, my advice would be have really, really small attainable goals and hit them. Um, and then all of a sudden you'll get a sense of pride and you'll become more confident in who you are. Almost like a staircase yeah. headed up. I, I, to I mean, heaven, to heaven. To heaven, yeah. I've been saying it a lot, uh, and anybody that watches my channel knows that I say vague goals get vague results. And this is very similar to what you're saying. That instead of going, yeah, I want to have a podcast, I think it's important to go, I want to have a podcast that is released once a week. Yeah. So then you have a goal that you're working towards. I want to have a podcast that gets 100 listens a show. Then you've got goals that you're working towards. Well, we're here in the shadow of the Sears Center, AEW All Out, obviously, tonight. Yeah, okay. Let's try that again. All Out is tonight. Which match on the card do you think is going to steal the show? Oh, I, I, I guess I'm really, I'm really looking forward to Kenny and Pac, I think. Because, you think? Well, I mean, there's a lot of great matches. There is. But I think the idea that there's not much story behind it, and I've watched both of these. Man, both, if you go back and listen to my, not a plug for my podcast, but I did an episode with Pac where he was... Walk away. He, well, I mean, I did an episode with Pac seven years ago where he was like, I don't know if I can be a wrestler. Like, I have zero confidence. And I did a, one with Kenny before he was in New Japan, and I think he just started going to DDT, so... Um, I, I know that their, mind, their mindset and their, and their mentality, and then you saw what wrestlers they became uh, in front of everybody. So I think there's, they're two of the best athletic wrestlers in the world, and I think they know they have this challenge, and I think they're really going to step up tonight. I want to take a second to acknowledge you and to thank you for your time. Yeah, we're going to wrap things up, if that's okay. I know we're done when DJ Wrestling comes we're in. We're getting ready to hit your music. Come oh, on. Yeah. I don't know how that thing works. Um, I want to take a second to acknowledge you. Um, for everything you've accomplished in your career, I certainly wouldn't have uh, a YouTube channel. I certainly wouldn't have a podcast. Uh, Chris Van Vliet, I can plug some stuff myself, right? Yeah. Do, I, do we have any Chris Van Vliet subscribers in the house here? Oh, all right. A few of them, yeah. So if you don't subscribe, it's... Uh, Chris Van Vliet uh, on all my platforms. Just push subscribe right here. How did you know? Right here. How did you know? I've been doing right this there. a while. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to. I want to thank you for paving the way for you know fellow wrestlers, but also for people like me to have an opportunity to do this. So I would like to give you a big round of applause for that. So thank you. <laughs> You've completely changed the game. You know, I said. I was just like, in my head, the internet goes up, you know, t everyone was like, you need TV if you want to be in wrestling, that's the platform, but I've always said, like, the internet, everyone gets TV, everyone gets the internet, I feel it's the same field, and that's why I use the internet to get my message out there, and I, I, I think, when, like, the idea that you don't need a TV, and I know you're on TV, yeah, I am, yeah. right, but to do your own thing, uh, you don't have to beg some producer, you don't have to beg some team, you just do it and you put it out there, it's very capable to do. And so, um, yeah, I think anyone who wants to do anything can do anything because the internet is so accessible. It's, n it's not the same that it was in the 70s and 80s, we can do so much more now. And obviously you're a great example and if you do something you get good at it, all of a sudden, you know, years later, you're really good at it, you're really doing it, and people notice. And now you got a job with AEW, you know, and it's just amazing. And I think that's, a, you're a great example of how it, 
how it is done and how it should be done and not going like, I'm going to do this and if I don't make money, then I'm out. It's just like you do it and you do it because it's fun and you enjoy it and you feel yourself, you're working towards something and then uh, a lot of perks come with it for not being like selfish or, or greedy, yeah. just doing a thing that you love. So you're killing it, Chris. Thank you. Give it up. Wow. Well, I want to thank you for this and I want to thank all of you guys for this for Cold Cabana. Ladies and gentlemen, Cole Cabana! Thank you guys. So, man, there you go. That was a lot of fun. I mean, being there live, doing it, even listening to it now, you can feel the energy from the crowd there. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please uh, do me a favor. Please share it with your friends. Take a screenshot. Tag me. Tag Colt. Let us know what you thought. Um, that live crowd was great. I think we should do more interviews like that. What do you think? What do you, we should, should we take this show on the road? Um, tweet me. Instagram me. Let me know where we should bring it. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Green Roads. They're awesome. They're a pharmacist-founded company making CBD oil. And you can use my code, Chris15, to get 15% off at greenroadsworld.com. MyBookie. You can use the promo code BLUEWIRE at mybookie.ag, and they will double your first deposit. If you want to look good and feel good, use the promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit for just $369 that includes free shipping. Indochino suits are money. And you need to look good to feel good. Indochino.com for that one. Also, it's so important to sound good. Samson Technologies at samsontech.com makes us sound good. So thank you to Colt for doing this interview. Congrats to him on absolutely everything. I don't know if I thanked him enough or congratulated him enough during the interview, but if not, there you go. And here's a great quote that I saw this week and I want to share with you. Whoever is trying to bring you down is already below you. Boom. Marinate on that one for a bit. Have a great week. My interview with the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, coming up in just a few days. Ooh, it's a good one.